Father, we do thank you for this morning. We do ask um, as we interact with those around us that you would just give us um, uh, opportunities. We thank you for those you have given us. Help us to be faithful and bold and courageous when they do arise. And uh, even when it's only something small that we can say, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and attunement to to um, notice those things and to be able to do them. Lord, we thank you for this morning as we continue to consider um, your word that you've given us. Uh, please please help us, give us strength, give us uh, clarity, uh, give us good discussion, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, where we're at, uh, we're doing what we're doing uh, in talking about how we got the Bible um, just to at different levels, right? We started off with how was Scripture produced, divine and human authorship, inspiration. Uh, and then last week we started into what we call the recognition of Scripture, which is really the concept of canon. Um, and so we've been working through that. And really we're doing all this as a backdrop to where we're eventually going to go, which is um, how do we read the Bible? How do we read it better? But in answering that question of how do we read it, how is it produced, right? If you understand how it's produced and how it's designed, uh, then you are in a position to better understand how to read it, right? So that's really why a large reason why we are um, uh, giving the, this information of how it's produced. So just to remind you from, from last week, uh, as we started talking about the recognition of the scriptures, uh, I gave you that handout that kind of um, showed you, at least, uh, at least from, from my view, a best... My best understanding, um, it's hard to tell like when each book is produced, but uh, there's not like a date given uh, explicitly to each book. Some we know better than others, but we talked about that. We also talked about there's a different order in the Old Testament canon, the Hebrew canon, than the English canon. They're all the same books. Um, they're just rearranged, essentially. Um, and then what we really started talking about was the idea of... Um, of canon. Uh, canon means just a rule, a standard, and so when we talk about the canon of Scripture, we're talking about which books meet the standard, which books meet the, the measure. Uh, and really what that amounts to is which books are recognized to be Scripture, which means which books are recognized to be inspired and in carrying God's authority. Uh, we said this. This is a very, very important principle to keep in mind when you think about canon. A book is canon as soon as it is written but it may be recognized only later. A book is canon as soon as it is written, but it may be recognized only later. So there's the, um, there's the inspiration side of it, which happened when it happened, but then, and it's authoritative as soon as it's written, but then sometimes it takes um, God's people a while uh, to recognize it. Now, how did they recognize it? And what we started off with last week was talking about that the affirmation of the canon um, really boils down to the affirmation of a true prophet because scripture is just prophecy written down. A prophet is just someone who speaks for God. They can speak about the future, but they also speak about the present. They speak about the past. Really, it's just someone who speaks for God, someone who um, God has put his words in their mouth uh, to speak to God's people. And so, of course, they had um, oral messages that were just said and um, as prophets, but then sometimes um, they wrote stuff down. Uh, in either case, the prophet has to be affirmed, 
And when the prophet is affirmed, then when what they've written down gets affirmed as scripture and it gets affirmed as canon. So that is the, the starting point, at least as far as a, a theology of canon, that you have to keep in mind. That uh, how was it affirmed? Well, it was affirmed by affirming uh, the prophet who wrote it as a genuine prophet. And we looked last week at those criteria in Deuteronomy. Uh, the criteria of it has to agree with what God has already revealed. So you could sum that up as orthodoxy. So uh, what is being said through this prophet, either orally or in written form, has to agree with prior um, uh, orthodoxy, what God has already revealed. Has to be 100% accurate uh, for a prophet to be recognized. Anything he would say or predict about the future, uh, if he's claiming to speak for God, it has to be 100% accurate. Uh, and then we also saw that in Deuteronomy, especially 18, uh, Moses, uh, he's, he's a prophet par excellence. He's like really special. He knows God's face-to-face. Numbers 12 talks about that. Uh, but he sets up for, in Deuteronomy 18, a prophet like him who's going to speak. And I think that does two things. Um, Brenda was kind of talking to me about this after last week. It does two things. It sets up a chain uh, of an, an expectation of there's going to be more prophets coming. And here's how you test a prophet who comes. So it sets up for the chain of prophets that are coming. So he's doing that. But he also, uh, there's, there's kind of this expectation of the, the prophetic capstone, if you will, the, the, the one who's going to be like Moses. Moses is a very special prophet. He speaks with God face to face. He knows him intimately. Um, and he's He's uh, the prophet par excellence. He, he gives, uh, essentially, Israel its foundation as a nation, uh, in a sense. Uh, if you think about the first five books of the Bible as kind of the, the constitution of Israel, in a sense. Um, so, yes, there's prophets that are coming, but there's kind of an expectation of the prophet who's going to come. And you see that at the end of Deuteronomy 34, which is where we left off, where uh, it ends with, uh, there hasn't arisen a prophet like Moses. Uh, meaning, okay, there's prophets, but not like Moses, right? So there's prophets, but not like Moses, not yet. So there's that expectation of that, that ultimate prophet coming, okay? So that's important as we go along. Now, that's what we did last week. So do, um, Moses kicks things off, uh, or at least he, um, uh, I think Job was probably the first book written, but at least as far as a lot of foundational principles, uh, you know, um, Moses kicks things off. But what's interesting as far as canon is how you walk through the scriptures and you will see how later books will recognize what came before, uh, what came before. So you can see that those fingerprints all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I want to highlight a couple of those for you. So that as you think about as people are recognizing the canon, you can see, oh, this was recognized right away. This was recognized right away. Uh, later, people might have disputed about it, but at least as far as the audience who the prophet was originally speaking to, they recognized, oh yeah, this guy's speaking for God. Uh, and so what they wrote down, that's God's word. And it was recognized immediately. And so you get hints of this, and you see, uh, just turn to Joshua, right? So right after Moses finishes Deuteronomy, or you know maybe Joshua finishes that last bit in, in Deuteronomy 34, we're not sure, but... Um, Joshua, uh, first part of Joshua, um, you know, we've got God commissioning Joshua, and um, someone go ahead and read Joshua 1, 5 through 9. 
Okay, so what is God telling Joshua as he commissions him? Yeah, be strong and courageous. And what's he supposed to do? Yeah, meditate on what had come before, the book of the law or the scroll. It's not like they have a book like this book, right? They have have a scroll of the book of the law, which would be the first five books of Moses, right? They're they're finished. They're, uh, you can see, even in the first five books, they're interlocking. They work together. One picks up right where the last one left off. Um, so this is uh, the, what Moses wrote is one unit, and now it's recognized. In fact, how Deuteronomy ends, it's like Moses finished writing, f- finishes writing, and he puts the book in the temple right next to the ark. Um, and so it's recognized. Everyone's recognizing that's the book of the law. That is uh, scripture. And so what is Joshua supposed to do? He's supposed to meditate on that, right? So you, what you see in that is the, the next book that picks up, it picks up right where the last one left off, and there's an interlocking recognition of, of uh, what has come before as Scripture. So you see some of that recognition that we're talking about. The book of, the Mo- of Moses, the book of the law, was canon as soon as it was written, but then people recognized that. They recognized Moses was a true prophet, and then those who came later, like Joshua, uh, what are they supposed to do? And God commands it here. It's like, hey, I've already written this book. Go ahead and meditate on that book or scroll, really. But the words of Scripture as you do what you're going to do. You can see it again. So flip to Judges. Judges is our next book. Um, and you see this in Judges um, 1.1. 1, 1. After the death of Joshua. So what just happened? Joshua died at the end of Joshua. And then where does Judges pick up? It just picks up right where it left off, right? So you, you see this, inter, at least in the histories, right? You see this interlocking uh, reality of the canon of, uh, of Scripture. And it, you know, where does Judges end? It ends with uh, everyone doing what's right in his own eyes. The judge is judging. Ruth picks up uh, in the days that the judges judged, right? So each one is picking up where the last one left off. That doesn't happen in every single case in the books of the Old Testament, but it does show that there's this interlocking recognition of the books as they're being written. Because what is canon? Canon is written prophecy. The audience to whom it's originally written is recognizing this is a true prophet, therefore what they're saying is from the Lord, right? Um, so that, at least as far as canonicity, like we have the books we have because the argument is that we have the books we have because the original audience affirmed those original prophets and what they were writing. Uh, and so that is how we get and uh, recognize it in an initial way, the canon of scripture. You can see this elsewhere. Flip to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 26. And really Jeremiah is an interesting book because it's in a lot of ways, Jeremiah embodies God's word, um, and there's a lot about prophecy and true prophets, false prophets, uh, who's truly speaking for God and all of this. But um, one thing I want to point to is uh, Jeremiah 26, um, 16, uh, someone read from 16 to verse 19.
Micah of Morasheth. Uh, through uh, through uh, 19, please. Okay, so the context is that Jeremiah is saying something, people don't like it, and they're about to put him to death, and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, hey, remember Micah of Morasheth? Now you're like, who's Micah of Morasheth? The guy who wrote Micah. Uh, it's the same Micah, actually. So if you go to Micah 1.1, it says Micah of Morasheth. But even what you see more here, and for our purposes, what they're quoting is from Micah. If you turn back to Micah 3.12, it's what they're quoting. Um, so what do you see in that? Obviously, there's something, I mean, they're talking about we better not kill Jeremiah because he's a true prophet, even though he's saying something that we don't like. Um, but what you also see here is you see in Jeremiah's day that people already had affirmed Micah and what he was saying as prophecy, and it's recognized. It's recognized right away. Now, we're talking, um, you know, 100 and maybe 30, 40, 50 years after Micah prophesied to hear but what you see is it's, authorit it's recognized as authoritative and it's binding on the community. So you get kind of little glimpses of this process happening, even, you know, kind of incidentally, right? That's not, the main, that's not the main point of what's being pushed here, but you see it's like incidentally, oh yeah, people are recognizing what's come before, they're codifying it, they know that's God's word, and they're, it's binding on them, right? Uh, you can see another one. This one's cool. Uh, turn to uh, Daniel. Daniel 9, key chapter in a lot of ways, but for our purposes, um, someone read Daniel 9, verses 1 through 2. You're good. By descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book of the numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, what do you see about canonicity in this? Yeah, he understands. It's not like so much he's affirming it. It's just like, oh yeah, we all know that Jeremiah is scripture and he's spoken to this. He's a true prophet. Notice also books, plural, right? Or scrolls, plural, right? So there's there's an accumulative recognition of writings, right? And it's not, um, it's Daniel's got a writing of Jeremiah's there who um, he 
He affirms, yeah, we see the prophecy here. He just takes it for granted. This is God's word. Uh, and, I, uh, um, and then based on that, he prays. So you've got someone writing scripture, um, uh, looking back to previous scripture. And if you wanted to know, well, where is he quoting in Jeremiah? It's Jeremiah 20, 29, 1 and following, where he quotes from and gives the, the, the number of years is 70. So the point for us is, is that you see this process happening. Someone writes as a true prophet of God, it's immediately recognized by the community, and then you can even see kind of incidentally, like later authors of scripture, quoting back and saying, yeah, that, that's scripture, and just assuming it's scripture. It's not like they're arguing for it. They're just saying, yeah, we recognize that as scripture. So that's, as we think about canonicity, uh, it starts with understanding, okay, the original audience for these books that were written affirmed that the person who wrote them was a true prophet and just started accumulating at, um, the, the books of scripture, right? So that starts with the book, books of Moses and um, uh, you know, next to um, the Ark of the Covenant, right? They're st- stored there, and then just gradually they keep accumulating as God speaks through prophets, right? So this is why prophecy is such the, the, the hinge or the core that we need to think about when we think about canon, okay? Does this make sense? Any, any questions on this? Pretty cool, I think. You get to see these, like, glimpses into how this, uh, this works out. Any questions? Okay, uh, one last one, uh, Zechariah. So Zechariah, we're getting pretty close to the end of, or to the close of the, um, the Old Testament canon. And it's just interesting. Um, again, it's incidental, but uh, Zechariah uh, 7, 12. Um, and Zechariah is, so he comes after the exile. There's a little bit of a return to Israel and so we're getting pretty late um, in, you know, maybe, I uh, forget the dates of Zechariah, I have to look at my little chart, but, um, but it, it's, it's, it's after the return, it's um, in the, uh, I think it's in the mid-400s, but what is he saying? He's saying um, in verse 12, reflecting on what happened with the exile and with Israel, uh, verse 12, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law... So when you hear the law, you're automatically thinking those first five books of Moses and the words that Yahweh of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So even there you get a glimpse of, okay, we got the former prophets, those who wrote, and really, um, if you look back at that sheet I gave you last week about the Hebrew canon, you've actually got the law, the first five books of Moses, the former prophets, starting with Joshua, uh, and then... Uh, we get to the latter prophets, prophets, something like Zechariah. But uh, it seems like, at least Zechariah, uh, he's speaking as a prophet, but he's recognizing God spoke um, through the former prophets. So we've got the law, the prophets, and really that starts to become the foundation of what will be eventually known as the law, the prophets, and the writings. Um, and so you can see, again, this is kind of the building nature of this. Now, as we think about prophecy progressing, well, where does um, the, the, um, the canon of the Old Testament ends? Well, uh, it kind of depends on whether you're following the English um, uh, the, uh, uh, order or whether you're following the Hebrew order. The Hebrew order fall, uh, ends in Second Chronicles um, in the, the, the writings. Uh, but at, at least as far as kind of the la- um, you know, Chronicles are historical books, so they're recounting the history but as far as probably the, the last writing um, 
the last writing prophet, like something like Zechariah, is actually Malachi, right? And what is Malachi set up for at the end of Malachi? Um, and this is the thing about Scripture. It sets up for the next stage. It sets up for the next stage, and you see that at the end of Malachi, which, again, it's not the last of the Old Testament books written, because uh, Chronicles is probably finished around 400 B.C., but um, you do see Micah, Malachi as one of the last writing prophets in the sense of, like, prophecy and what we think of of, the, uh, of a prophet writing. First uh, and Second Chronicles is written by a prophet, but, like, we think of something like Z- Micah or Zechariah or Malachi. It's a little bit different genre. Anyway, uh, Malachi 4, 4 through 5 says this, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, hearts of children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And what is Malachi doing? He's saying, hey, watch for this guy. This is the next thing that's going to happen. This is the next thing that's going to happen on kind of the historical stage that you're looking for. And so um, according to what we basically see is that prophecy ceases for 400-ish years and then reopens with the guy who looks a lot like Elijah, namely John the Baptist, right? Um, You see that. That's where Luke starts his gospel, right? It's like, hey, um, here's Zechariah, and then God speaks through Zechariah's father a little bit, and then you've got John the Baptist, and it's this guy, right, that's kind of set up for, as you think. So again, you see the canon building on itself because it makes sense. If God is writing a book through human authors, he's building um, the storyline into it, and you see that as part of canon. Um, If we're just, we're staying focused for the moment, we'll talk next week more about the New Testament, but um, we are going to dip into the New Testament, but we're dipping into the New Testament next because, well, how do we how do we know that all the books in the Old Testament are the ones that should be in the Old Testament? And so we're still thinking about that, right, uh, of canon being recognized. And we've seen as we've walked through it, okay, yeah, we can see other authors quoting other authors, and they're, they're, they're already, they already know that these books are authoritative as soon as they're written, and then later generations affirm them. But we can see the same thing for the Old Testament in the New Testament. So we can see that um, as we jump into the New Testament. What is, uh, as you think about how Moses set up for the prophetic line continuing on and on, what is everyone looking for? Uh, Yes, the Messiah, but even more specific to the words um, that Moses said about prophecy and prophets? Uh, Not the Elijah. What's that? The prophet like Moses. So people understand, yeah, there's these prophets coming, like Joshua and Samuel and Zechariah and all these folks, and you can test them, and Moses gave those tests, but the kind of cumulative person that he sets up for is the prophet like Moses. And remember, Moses is very special. He says that in Numbers 12, right? He knows God face to face, not just in visions and dreams. So he's very special and really forms a... Uh, in a lot of ways, the writings form the foundation of Israel, the law, right? The Torah, the instruction. Um, and so what's interesting to see is as the New Testament is opening, as we jump into the first century um, of A.D., right? 
you can see people are still looking. They recognize that the prophet hasn't come. So turn to John. So we're still thinking about the Old Testament, but what we start to see in the New Testament kind of, it just sets us up for not only what we're going to talk about with the New Testament canon, but also um, looking back to the Old Testament. So John one twenty one. Uh, someone go ahead and, and read that. Yeah, so what are they looking for? They're, yeah, they're looking for Elijah, right? And John's like, no. So John wasn't Elijah. Uh, he's like Elijah. And so uh, you, 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 we'll, we'll talk, we've talked about some of that in Matthew. But for our purposes, we're thinking about that prophetic chain. And what do they ask him? Are you the what? The prophet, right? Not just a prophet, right? So we've had prophets. They recognize, the first century Jews recognize, the prophet, like Moses, hasn't come yet. And then later, as you get into Acts, so skip over to Acts. So it's not, uh, people recognize, okay, we're waiting for the prophet. It's not done yet. So this, this sets up for the, what's going to happen in the New Testament. Um, and then we'll, we'll see in the New Testament itself how it looks back to and affirms the old. Um, but uh, Acts 3, Acts 3, uh, verses 22 through 24. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Through 24. Yeah. So what do you see there? They're still looking for the prophet, but this is, uh, this is the apostle speaking, and they're effectively acclaiming, if you looked at the context of the speech, they're effectively claiming Jesus is that guy. He is that prophet. So not only with John the Baptist and John 121, can you see the Jews are still waiting for that prophet, but then in Acts 3, you can see that the apostles understand that Jesus is that prophet, which makes a lot of sense because Jesus does things that are very Moses-like. We've seen that in Matthew, right? He goes up on the mountain and he speaks the Sermon on the Mount, and even a lot of the things he does recapitulate a lot of patterns that happen with Israel's history. So uh, it makes sense that they understand Jesus is that guy, which means what? He's the culminating office of prophet, right? That's not just, and you can see it here, he, um, uh, they, they refer to prophets, right? Uh, all these, this chain of prophets that have talked about this stuff, but then there's this distinction with the prophets versus the prophet, um, who is, um, they understand is Jesus, and he's the culmination of the prophetic office, and you might say, well, wait a minute, aren't there New Testament prophets and aren't there apostles that come after Jesus? Yes, we're getting to that, and we'll talk about that next week. But what you need to see, at least as far as this is concerned, is that they understand, the apostles understand that Jesus is that prophet. You can also kind of see this, this, this um, key break, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because it sets us up for the New Testament, which we'll talk more about next week, but it also, as we look in the New Testament, it looks back to the old and affirms what's going on in the old. One more, uh, Hebrews, 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. So I'm going to go ahead and read Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Yeah, so what do you see there? You're saying, yeah, God spoke to us in all these ways by all these prophets, but now, right? And you see that it makes sense with all we've seen of this anticipation of the one like Moses, but now he's spoken to us by the Son. What was so special about Moses is that he spoke to God face to face. Well, now we've got someone even better. Uh, we've got the Son who knows God from face to face from all eternity speaking. So you've got the most personal representative you could have as the culminating, the prophet, who's speaking for God and in these last days, as Hebrew puts it. So you see, okay, this, is, this, is, this starts to interlock with what the Old Testament is anticipating. We're, inter, we're looking for the prophet, but as soon as that prophet steps onto the stage, right, it's, it's, he's the culminating guy. He's the culminating office, uh, which is going to set up for a, a, a lot of what we see in the New Testament. Now, so having done that, and we'll talk more about those concepts next week, what does the New Testament say about the Old Testament canon and the recognition of the Old Testament canon? Well, we've got the prophet, so let's listen to the prophet talking about uh, the Old Testament. We go to Jesus, right? And we talk about Jesus as the prophet talking about the Old Testament, and you get glimpses of this. Matthew 5 um, is a key, key text. And as we think about canon and recognition of canon, we can see Jesus um, affirming uh, that, that canon. So Matthew 5, 17 through 18, what does he say? Okay, so you see how he's referring to the Old Testament. He's really referring to the Old Testament scriptures here. How is he referring to them? The law and the prophets. So if you want to, um, as we'll see, there's another place where he indicates that he understands that the, the same content of the Old Testament as we have, the law, the prophets, and the writings. But often you will see people shorthand that, especially um, in Jesus' day, to just the law and the prophets. And you can even see here, it gets shorthanded even one further sometimes as just the law, right? So you got the Old Testament um, as the law and the prophets. That's how it's conceived of, and we can even see indications of that throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, yeah, all of that's going to remain in force um, until everything is accomplished. Um, so you can see he's affirming it, right? He's, he's holding on to it. We can see this elsewhere in the Gospels, um, in Jesus' view of the Old Testament and what, you know, some indications of canon. Luke 16. Um, Luke actually has a fair amount, um, or several key statements. Uh, Luke 16, uh, 29. So this is the rich man in Lazarus, and, um, you know, Abraham talks to the, to the rich man in, in, um, in Hades and says this, 
Uh, but Abraham said, they have Moses, speaking of the rich man's brothers that he wants like Lazarus to go to. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So there you got it again, right? Moses, that's the first five books. That's the law. That's the Torah and the prophets. So this segmentation of the Old Testament, which it eventually becomes, or, or it's the same stuff that what we know is of the law, the prophets, and the writings. You could skip over to chapter 24 when Jesus is... Uh, you know, after the road to Emmaus, uh, is this one when it's still on? Oh, no, this is still on the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, 27. Uh, so we saw this at, um, at Easter, right? Uh, we went through all of this, and Jesus comes up beside these, these guys on the road to Emmaus. And one of the things we see, verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus says this, And beginning with Moses, first five books, and all the prophets, okay, that's the rest of the Old Testament, that's the law and the prophets is the shorthand way you refer to all the Old Testament um, that we know and love. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, see, he's saying, here's all the scriptures, they're the law and the prophets, right? Um, the things concerning himself. And then if you skip down even to verse 44, same chapter, he's talk, He this is later when he's talking to the disciples in uh, the room, and verse 44 says this, uh, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, first five books, and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, what you have to understand, and this is where the Hebrew order of the canon matters, is that the writings start with the Psalms. So, and our majority of the writings, like you've got 150 chapters, right, of Psalms. And so you can kind of, the, the theory is, is that you could shorthand talking about the writings with just saying the Psalms. So really, what is Jesus affirming? He's affirming that, that three blocks that make up the Old Testament. Uh, and you're like, are you sure it's the same books in the same order? Uh, well, there's another, um, uh, there's another uh, section in Luke that indicates to us, yes, same books in the same order. Go, jump back to Luke 11. Luke 11, uh, 50. Okay, so he's rebuking um, the Pharisees and the scribes here. So it's incidental, but... Um, I'll, 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 I'll back up to verse 49 just to give a little context. Verse 49, so Jesus is speaking to the, the Pharisees, etc. He says this, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Now watch this. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Which prophets are you talking about? From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Where do you hear about Abel being slaughtered? Genesis 4. Where do you hear about Zechariah being slaughtered? Yeah, not, that, that one's not as familiar, right? Uh, go to 2 Chronicles 24. Second Chronicles 
24, uh, 20, yeah, 20 through 22. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, this priest, and he stood before the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because they have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge, right? And so you see that same event that Jesus is talking about in Second Chronicles. But notice how he framed it, from this prophet to this prophet, meaning what? Well, that matches the order we have in our Old Testament, the, matches the Hebrew ordering, right? The law, the prophets, and the writings. What does the law start with? Genesis. What does the writings end with? Chronicles, Second Chronicles. And so it seems like, um, again, this is incidental. It's not um, a 100% slam dunk, but it seems like uh, what Jesus understands as the Old Testament canon is exactly what we understand as the Old Testament canon. That makes sense because every... Uh, everyone, uh, as the prophets are writing, they're affirming those prophets, they're, they're stacking them together and saying, yeah, these are our scriptures, and Jesus seems to affirm that, uh, that those same books in the same ordering that we have in the Hebrew canon. Um, there's even, uh, and of course, we know that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament extensively, and he quotes it authoritatively, and he quotes it, uh, he said, I like how he, he always says this in the Gospels, he says, have you never read, right, Meaning, you guys should have read this and understood it's God's word, and you should, have, you should have obeyed it, right? So we can see Jesus is affirming, as the prophet, the Old Testament canon, right? Um, and what we have as the Old Testament is the Old Testament. Now, I'll pause there. There's a little bit more history that I'll give you just to close things out, but um, any questions uh, up to this, this point? This is kind of making sense. Okay, so um, as far as extra history, so if you want to go outside of the Bible um, as a whole and say, well, what about other evidence? Do we have other evidence that shows that the Old Testament is the Old Testament that we have today and same books and all of that? Uh, yeah, uh, there's some. So the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, which was done over a course of 100 years. They started with the law, and then they worked their way through the different um, books, but um, so it's, it was, the Septuagint wasn't done at one time. It was done over a period of time. But, you know, you're still talking 100, 200, 250 years uh, before, the um, before Jesus. And um, it includes all of our Old Testament books. It does include other books, uh, apocryphal books, that aren't in the Old Testament. And yet uh, those books are not quoted in the new, and probably just because they tacked them on is like, hey, these are still, these are of some spiritual value, let's, let's tack them on. Um, you've also got Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, all of the, what we have in our Old Testament, so Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you're talking, again, over a span of time, but at least a hundred years or so before Christ um, uh, is when those things are dated, and it has all of the Old Testament books that we know and love, except Esther, and then commentaries on those books. And so you can kind of see the, uh, the books that have commentaries on them. Uh, there's indications that they're viewing these as scripture, right? So it's the same thing. And then you've got guys like Josephus. So Josephus, he's a, he, you have the Jewish revolt in about AD 66, and Josephus 
was in Galilee, and he was defending Galilee against the Romans until he surrendered and became essentially a patron, or he was, he was under the Roman patronage eventually. So he surrendered, he became Roman effectively in that sense. But he makes comments even on, and so this is the first century, contemporary with the apostles, um, he makes mention of the, uh, what is composed in the Old Testament canon. So I'm going to read to you a quote from Josephus, um, and he's talking about um, these books. So this is from Against Appion. Uh, I think this, how you read this is book one, verse, verse 38. Anyway, he, so he says this, For we have not an innumerable multitude of books among us. So he's talking about the Jews, and he's Really, as a Jew, he's trying to defend the Jews to the Romans and like saying, hey, the, what happened with the rebellion? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like that was a small group of radicals. That's kind of what he's trying to do. But in any case, he's writing, and he's writing for uh, a Gentile audience, and he says this, For we have not an innumerable multitude of books among us, disagreeing from and contradicting one another, as the Greeks have, but only 22 books. Uh, which contain the records of all the past times which are justly believed to be divine. Now, the Hebrew um, ordering of the canon is 24, so where's he getting 22? Best guess is he's combining um, Judges and Ruth and Jeremiah and Lamentations. And if we think that that's the case, then it it tallies. Um, And then he goes on to describe them a little bit. Uh, and of them, five belong to Moses, which contain his laws and the traditions of the origin of mankind till his death. This interval of time was little short of 3,000 years. But as it, to the time from the death of Moses till the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and that you meet, the, you meet Artaxerxes in like Ezra and Nehemiah, so he's talking about the historical por- portions, uh, who reigned after Xerxes, the prophets who were after Moses wrote down what was done in them in 13 books. Remember that the minor prophets, or what we call the minor prophets, that's like one book, the book of the 12. Um, So that's how he's tallying that. The remaining four books contain hymns to God, that's Psalms, uh, and precepts for the conduct of human life, that's probably Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes maybe, and things like that, uh, which is in the writings. It is true, our history hath been uh, written since Artaxerxes very... So, so what he's doing, right, he said, essentially gave... Um, here's our history up to Artaxerxes. And then we've got some writings that are hymns and precepts for life. But notice what he says next. This is actually very important. He says, it is true, our history hath been written since Artaxerxes. So we got Moses, then we go up to Artaxerxes, and then he's saying, yeah, we've written some history since Artaxerxes. Very particularly, but hath not been esteemed of the like authority with the former by our forefathers, because there hath not been an exact succession of prophets since that time. And how firmly we have given credit to those books of our own nation is evident by what we do, for during so many ages as we have, as our, have already passed, no one has been so bold as either to add anything to them to take anything from them, or to make any change in them. But it becomes natural to all Jews immediately and from their very birth to esteem those books to contain divine doctrines and to persist in them, and if occasion be willingly to die for them. Now, you got to keep in mind, Josephus is not a Christian. He's not inspired. He's, uh, he's, he's got his own biases, that's for sure. 
Um, but at least it is evidence that what we see is like, yeah, everyone recognizes that these are the books. Um, these is, this is the canon of Scripture. And notice what he even said. It's like, yeah, we've written some history. We've written some history. Like, that would be like First and Second Maccabees and things like that in the Apocrypha that cover other history after Artaxerxes. Um, but he's like saying, yeah, but we don't esteem it the same because there hasn't been, what, a succession of prophets. So it's the same thing, right? You're waiting for, there's this 400 years of silence, and then you're waiting for prophecy to restart, which it essentially does with John the Baptist, um, well, really his dad, and then, and then John the Baptist, and then, you know, we get the New Testament canon, right? So you can see even external to the, to the scriptures themselves that this is kind of the state of affairs. So uh, pretty neat, um, pretty neat to, and there's way more history, and there's debate, and, you know, people would definitely, uh, scholars would debate about a lot of the things I'm saying, right? But uh, at least you get the kind of the picture of how this unfolded, and we can be confident that, yeah, okay, we have the Old Testament, they, they cared for it, they esteemed it, they loved, they knew this was scripture, it was affirmed by prophets, and this, these books are scripture, and other ones, while they might be even spiritually edifying in some ways, aren't scripture. Um, and so, uh, that's kind of the Old Testament side of, of the canon. Any questions? Okay, so next week what we'll do is we'll pick up with the New Testament, and how do we know the New Testament is what it uh, claims to be, right? And uh, uh, there's a lot that's similar. There's a few things that are different, right? Um, but the same basic principles that we've been seeing so far. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've preserved your word for us um, and that you have uh, given prophets to speak your word. And now we have that record uh, written um, and translated even to our own mother tongue, and we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we pray for this morning as what we do is, is oriented around the word. We sing the word, we proclaim the word, we um, portray the gospel and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would bless this morning and that your word would do its work, Old Testament and New Testament, that um, all of it is profitable, it is all God-breathed, and it's all authoritative, and we just pray that it would work in our hearts and lives and draw us closer to you and loving you and worshiping you. We thank you for this time together. In Christ's name, amen.